Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Our scripture this morning is from Luke's Gospel, chapter 3. I'll begin reading in verse 7, the story of John the Baptist. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then should we do? In reply, he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even the tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed to you. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what should we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether or not he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water. But one who is more powerful than I is coming. I'm not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations... He proclaimed the good news to the people. Luke is my favorite gospel. I don't know if it's okay for the preacher to have a favorite gospel or not. I'm not sure that's okay. It's not like having a favorite child, is it, to have a favorite gospel? But Luke is my, is my favorite. I, I love all four of the gospel witnesses They all are different. They all have a a different audience. They were written at different times, different purposes, different writers. They all have their own flavor. I just happen to like Luke the best. Now, Mark, I know some of you prefer Mark. Mark is the shortest, the starkest, bare bones. Mark will just tell you what happened, tell it like it is, and get out. Mark kind of reminds me of Clint Eastwood in the old Western movies. 
Doesn't say much, but you just better listen when he does. For instance, the, the long passage I just read from Luke, 11 verses from Luke, this exchange with the crowd with John the Baptist, Mark handles it in two verses. The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit. That's it. See, two verses, not 11. That's Mark. He's just going to get to the point, get on with it. Matthew is a little different. Matthew is the most Jewish and most regal of all the Gospels. Lots of fulfillment of prophecy, lots of impressive figures, magi from the East. The magi don't show up in any other Gospel except Matthew. There are no barns and shepherds and messy feeding troughs in Matthew. And so when Matthew tells about John the Baptist, he wants you to know that the prophet saw this coming. Matthew is trying to convince the Jewish people that this Jesus is the Messiah. So he keeps saying, see, Jesus fulfilled that, Jesus fulfilled that, Jesus fulfilled that. And in the case of John the Baptist, he says, this is the one Isaiah was talking about. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Matthew kind of reminds me of the mom who keeps saying, I told you so. I told you. John, it seems to me, never left his professor's office. I don't think he ever cut his own firewood. Never stood in line, never changed his own oil. John reminds me of the kind of reserved academic theologian. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. John, you don't get any donkeys, no shepherds. John writes like somebody who's never been fishing for catfish, you know, just stayed in his office. And in his writing, he avoids all the stink of the animal skins of John's wardrobe. He doesn't say anything about the locust and wild honey diet. John seems to, or yeah, John seems to depict a more, uh, more kind of sophisticated baptizer. This is the testimony given by John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? See, it's kind of a sanitized, more kinder, gentler John. But Luke, I love Luke. Luke's gospel has all kind of faces and stories. and Luke has more proper nouns than any other gospel. If it weren't for Luke, we would never know Augustus, Quirinius, Simeon, Anna, they were people we wouldn't have ever heard of if not for Luke. No magi in the east in Luke's gospel. Luke knows people named Bubba. Luke talks about shepherds who stay up real late. And Luke will tell it plain. 
eye to eye, real world. I like Luke. But there's one line in today's reading that has me a little bit perplexed with Luke. Before I get to that first, let's you and me be real world honest and admit that this isn't even close to our favorite passage for the Sunday before Christmas, right? I mean, shouldn't we be talking about swaddling clothes and angels we have heard on high? I mean, the stockings are hung by the chimney with care and Mariah Carey is on the radio. And we expected something other than you brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. I mean... Turn from your sin, you rotten bunch of snakes, is not exactly the Christmas message we were hoping for, right? But remember, three weeks ago, we talked about it's not Christmas yet. It's Advent. We're still in that season of waiting. We're still, it's so close, right? It's so close. But we're still waiting. I hope you're all planning to be here Christmas Eve. I hope you've all made eight phone calls to invite friends to be here Christmas Eve. Because Christmas Eve, we're going to stop waiting. We're going to jump the gun just a little bit, a few hours. We're going to celebrate Christmas Eve, the coming Christ. But today, we're still adventing a little bit. We're still waiting. We're readying ourselves. John says, one who is more powerful than I is coming. And we're waiting with John for his coming. But okay, let's let's get back to that line in today's reading that stopped me in my tracks. First, I'm familiar with John the Baptist. I got from John the Baptist what I expected. He is a courageous preacher. A straight shooter. I do not want a vacation with John. He doesn't strike me as somebody I would really like a lot. But what I heard from him, I saw coming. You brood of vipers, every tree therefore that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown to the fire, all of that. But it's after this, from Luke, that we get the line that surprises me. Luke says, after John gets through ranting about sin, Luke says, so with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. Did any of that sound like good news to you? I can usually count on Luke to give it to me straight. And here, after John has finished this brood of vipers, repentance, wrath to come sermon, Luke says, well, isn't that good news? Has Luke lost it? Well, when I'm reading scripture and I hit a speed bump like that, I just can't leave it alone. I just have to keep scratching and keep digging. How in the world can Luke listen to a sermon about God's wrath, cutting down the trees that don't bear fruit, throwing them into the fire, and say, 
That's some good news right there. But hidden behind the nativity set and the hallelujah chorus are parts of the Christmas story we don't talk about much. I'm part of a breakfast group that meets once a month. Uh, there are 30 of us from around the city. Uh, usually there are 12, 15 present at any given uh, monthly meeting. The group's uh, about half black, half white, about half clergy, half laity. We present to one another, we pray together, we pray for our city together. There, there are several people in the group who are in Atlanta leadership. And in the last meeting, we were talking about, of course, Advent, the Christmas story, the season we're in. And one African-American leader in Atlanta said, have you ever noticed how much evil is present in the Christmas story. He said, Herod's trying to kill all the baby, the Jewish baby boys for crying out loud. Well, I'd never seen it that starkly before. Jesus was born in bad times. The people were desperate for a savior this sermon is about our need for a Savior. The whole culture needs a coming Savior. Christmas is, is often so individualized that individual presents for, with individual names to Granny Kate from Susan. But today's story reminds us that Christmas is not just about an individual Savior who's come to save me, to give my life purpose and meaning, to forgive me. The Christ child is coming to save the world. War and famine, violence and injustice, racism and greed. John the Baptist preached this to the crowds, remember? When he preached, you brood of vipers, it was preached to a culture gone mad. Because Jesus was born in bad times. And the people were desperate for a savior. John was preaching to a culture sick with self-preservation an accumulation, an exploitation. And I'm not sure how much has changed. You might have to stretch your imagination a bit. As hard as this is to believe, there are still, still there is a big swath of Atlanta that gets up every morning, laces their shoes, starts the car, and goes out into the world for no bigger purpose than to see how much they can grab. But Jesus is inaugurating a new world, a new order, 
where love rules. The Christ child is coming to turn everything upside down. Where the new world is not about grabbing but giving. Not darkness but light. Not violence but reconciliation. Not harboring but forgiving. Not them, us. Not what's in it for me, but what can I do for you? There is this new realm, this new kingdom where love rules. It's breaking in. And all of this hoarding and competition is put aside because there's a new king. And John the Baptist says he's coming, and I'm not worthy to tie his shoes. So see, Luke has it right after all. John did proclaim the good news to people. It is good news that what Jesus comes to set right is injustice. What Jesus plans to throw into the fire is greed. The tree that Jesus plans to cut down at the root is selfishness. Jesus intends to clean it all away so that a new order rooted in love might take its place. And here's even more good news. We are all invited to participate in this new kingdom that was given birth on Christmas Day. I mean, you don't have to. You can stay where you are, hoping maybe this time it'll work, maybe the next win or the next success or the next bauble will make all the misery go away. But you're invited You're invited to participate in a new kingdom, a new reality, live at a new address. Because this new world is about truth and light and forgiveness and relationship. And declaring that you want to be part, that you want your life to be part of this new world is so life-changing that many early believers called it being saved. Saved from the heartache and grind and emptiness of selfish living. Some in the crowd that day who who heard John's sermon, they wanted this new life. They wanted to participate in this new kingdom. They asked him, what then should we do? In fact, they asked, they asked three different times. What then should we do? John replied, anybody who's got a coat, has two coats, needs to share one of them. You need to live with generosity. That's the way the new kingdom looks. What should we do? John replied, collect no more than what you are owed. Live with integrity, 
honor. A third time, what should we do? Do not extort money or make false accusations. Tell the truth. It's a new world. Jesus is coming. Sign up. There is this whole new way to live. Do away with the selfishness. You turn. One who is more powerful than I is coming, and he summons a whole new way of being. Where there is an integrity of action, a commitment to relationship, a life of generosity, sign up. And part of what we love about Christmas, I'm convinced this is true, is that in this season we get a peek of what the new kingdom looks like. The Christmas season in some ways is kind of a dress rehearsal for what life would look like if we all started to live in this kingdom filled with love. In this season, people give gifts instead of hoarding. People travel great distances to renew relationships that matter. People ring bells and write checks and volunteer. Greed kind of takes a sabbatical. And we get to glimpse at what this new order looks like. And the one who is coming on Christmas Day is inviting us to a whole life of Christmas. A whole reorientation to live inside the reign of love. You know that the word repentance means turn around. John the Baptist is saying, turn around, look. There is this whole new way to live, and Christ has come, and Christ has modeled it for us. I'm with Luke now. The sermon is about good news, because one is coming, and he's bringing a whole new way to live if only we've got the courage to say yes and join him in this kingdom made of love, made of relationship, truth, and honor. He's coming, and he's bringing a whole new way. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, Come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponstelian Baptist Church.